Hello and welcome to Communities Forward. I'm your host, Terrell Carter. Communities Forward seeks to share the stories and experiences of people who are making a positive impact within their communities and neighborhoods, especially in the St. Louis metropolitan area. The Communities Forward podcast is brought to you by RISE Community Development. You can learn more about RISE and how we participate in the process of helping neighborhoods and communities become healthier and more equitable at www.risestl.org, www.risestl.org. Today's podcast is part two of our interview with the Honorable Laura Arnold, who is the mayor of Webster Groves. Mayor Arnold was elected to the Webster uh, City Council in 2018 and was subsequently elected mayor in 2022. Mayor Arnold is a retired college professor who earned multiple degrees, including a PhD in political sciences from the Ohio State University. Her research and teaching focus was on American government and politics, tics, excuse me, especially legislative uh, politics. Uh, she has taught extensively throughout the St. Louis and Southern Illinois uh, area. And in today's uh, interview, uh, Dr. Arnold continues her discussion about uh, what it means to be a woman in politics and leading a uh, small uh, city municipality. Hope you enjoy today's interview. So what got you into politics then? So you are teaching, have kids, moved to part-time, your husband full-time. How did you transition to public leadership yourself? So I spent a whole lot of time telling my students, oh, you got to get out there and get involved. You know, there are all sorts of ways you can get involved. You can do work on campaigns. You can be candidates. You can give money. You can talk to your friends about things. And so uh, I'll be honest, at some point it became hypocritical. You know, I had done a lot of those things, but it became hypocritical to just say to my students, go out there and do more, right? I had donated campaigns. I had volunteered on campaigns. I talked about politics a lot. But at some point, if you really believe in something, you have to just say, I'm willing to step forward and do it. And I will also say the election of Donald Trump propelled that um, because it said to me, we don't have enough women at all levels of office. Um, and that means that I can go recruit my friends or actually, and I can step forward myself. And, and it was at that point that I decided to run for the city council. Because one of the things that's underappreciated, I think, in our, in our country is that these local government matters a whole lot more in your daily lives than a lot of other kinds of levels of government. And so, you know, we, we need women in local government as much as we need women in Congress and on the school board and those kinds of things. What was your platform when you ran for city council and or what, what were you thinking as you began this? Again, knowing all the research, knowing that you had talked to students about it before. Yeah, so my the re, my policy issues that I focused on initially, frankly, are the same ones I'm focused on now. And that is that the escalating cost of housing in Webster Groves is changing who can live here. And if we want our community to thrive, that means we have to be accessible to a very wide range of people. And that's just slipping away from us or will slip away from us unless we take some action. Um, the second thing is, you know, government works best when government is open and transparent and is in communication with residents. Um, at the time I first ran, I didn't really think that people in City Hall cared all that much about what um, residents had to say about things. I think we've 
I think that's changed some. I think um, I think I misperceived council members on that, that there were some council members who did really care, but we didn't, as a city, hadn't set up any apparatus for really making that communication easy and accessible. Um, so that was the, the second thing that was really important to me. And those were the two dominant issues, housing and then openness and communication when I first ran. Tell us about Webster Groves. I, obviously, I know a little bit about Webster Groves. I serve a church in there, but uh, for our listeners who are not familiar about this, this suburb, uh, tell us about it. So we are a classic entering suburb of St. Louis. Um, which means we are fully built or nearly fully built. There's not a lot of open spaces. You're not gonna find a good place to put a Walmart here in Webster Groves. Um, we have, uh, you can really think of um, our community as sort of three layers of a cake in some way. And that is the Northern part of Webster Groves is very historically significant. It's, it was the centerpiece of a lot of black education and culture for St. Louis County in the Northwestern neighborhood and had a thriving business district. It is, for lack of a better word, gentrified over time. So even though it is the most diverse part of Webster Groves, it is becoming wider all the time. Um, and it is a very economically diverse neighborhood. You'll find some huge houses and you'll find some very small houses the central part of Webster is the Webster that people seem to picture. It's the one in the brochures with the big houses, beautiful neighborhoods, um, and our central street Lockwood that has more churches than you can even imagine. And your church isn't even on Lockwood. So, uh, and then there's the southern part, south of Highway 44, which is um, a series of neighborhoods of lots of bungalow style houses built after World War II um, that make for strong neighborhoods as well. But so they're really these kind of three different areas. And what's what's been true of Webster for a long time is that central portion has been the people who governed Webster. They're the ones who got elected to office. They're the ones who served on boards and commissions. And one of the things I think that is happening and it's by design happening is that that is becoming less the case. There's a geographic change in representation in our city. And that means that it's more diverse in terms of race and economics and who is serving our, our community as well. We got a ways to go, but there is a little bit of progress there. And I would be remiss in saying we also, you know, Webster Grove School District is one of the best in St. Louis County, actually one of the best in the state. So that also makes a lot of this such an attractive community for a lot of people. And, uh... A very dominant or sometimes dominant athletic programs as well. That's that's the least important uh, in the big scheme of things. Well, for some people, it's the most important, but I want to also yeah. make sure to, to mention that they had a chokehold on football, basketball, and didn't uh, girls basketball just win state and boys basketball win state this year? Or what was so it? The, the boys won and the girls were runner-up. Okay. Um, softball won recently as well. So there, and soccer's won in the recent past for both girls and boys. So yeah, you're right. It's a great place to be an athlete or just if you want to watch high school sports, which I think is a lot of fun. What were some of your, this, I hope this question is appropriate or that there's a, a clear answer. What, what were some of your accomplishments as a council person or so I recognize that a council led city is different in a sense from other, you know, 
the way other cities operate, but what were some of the things that you accomplished that you all aimed to get? Yeah, I thanks for asking that. Um, there are a couple of things that come to mind. Um, first of all, we very much strengthened our um, fair housing ordinances. You know, one of the things people who use vouchers to rent houses are fundamentally discriminated against in a lot of places in our area. Um, and one of the things I'm most proud about is not only did we change the law so you couldn't discriminate against those with vouchers, but we came up with an actual system to enforce that. City has all struggled with this for a long time. They couldn't figure out, they've had trouble enforcing it. And so we came up with an enforcement system that requires landlords to register. We can yank your registration through an administrative process. So there is, there is some consequence to the discrimination. Um, so that was one thing. Um, another thing is that we, uh, we decriminalized marijuana, um, which possession of marijuana, um, which I think was, you know, a step in the right direction. A lot of people, a lot of communities are beginning to do that. Um, and I think it's a step in the right direction for a number of reasons. One, we were to the point then where medical marijuana was legal, it was about to become legal. And um, you certainly don't want to take anyone with a medical condition and worry about whether they should have that marijuana or not. And you don't want a legal record for that. Second, you know, our police officers weren't really enforcing it either. It was sort of a go home if you had a small possession, but you know, we don't, we don't want any um, discrimination in the application of that judgment, right? And so decriminalizing it made it easier. And, you know, we're working it that way as a state anyway. You know, we have that ballot initiative this year, and I assume that relatively soon this will be coming on issue, but I'm glad that we just went ahead and did it. Um, another thing is I, I actually am really proud of the way we handled COVID. And it's it, you don't want to really think about that as a, an accomplishment. But on the other hand, you know, our city services continued. We found ways to do things, even though we learned our technology was not up to the task. Um, so we've spent a lot of time trying to remedy that. Um, but people got the services they needed. Uh, and, and I think that that is a huge thing during this COVID environment. And then one that's kind of a little bit of a niche issue, but I think it's important, is that before the pandemic, we um, changed our home-based business regulations to make it easier to run a home-based business. Webster had some of the most restrictive ordinances about what you could and could not do with a home-based business, who could come and go, how many people you could have. I mean, I, frankly, I don't know how anybody ran a home-based business under the previous rules. And so we made it easier. And one of the things that people forget is so many brick and mortar businesses start as home-based businesses. So if you want a strong, small business environment, you need to provide opportunities for home-based businesses. And right before the pandemic was a good time because when people moved home, we didn't have a problem under our regulations with what they were doing. So I'll, I'll stop there, although I could keep going. That, that's a good thing that you could keep going. So how many years did you serve as a council person? And then what made you decide to run for mayor? So I served four years as a council member. Um, when, when my term as a council member was ending, our mayor, Jerry Welch, who was mayor at the time, um, was finishing off her 24th year as mayor. And it made it pretty clear that she was strongly considering retiring. 
So there was going to be, a, there was likely to be an opening. Um, and, you know, frankly, there are too many unfinished items on my list, I thought at least, to leave the leadership of the council to somebody who didn't share my ideas. And I couldn't identify someone in the community who was willing to run who did. Um, and one of the things about being mayor is there's not a lot of power in it. People think there's a lot more power in it than there actually is. But one thing that you can do as mayor is help shape the agenda of the council. What are we going to talk about? What are we going to work on? What issues will we revisit? There's always going to be stuff you have to do because of the timing. But there are things that the mayor can help control or help encourage some things to be worked on as opposed to others. And I wanted the opportunity to help shape that agenda. And that's really why I ran for mayor. What is your, so what has it been, what has your experience as mayor been like? And what is your, how has your agenda changed if it has since you've become mayor? Thank you. That's a, a really good question because I think my expectations were pretty spot on for what the job is, minus one really important thing. What I underestimated was how much time you spend on things that are just forced in front of you because they have to be dealt with right away. Um, we, have, we have a significant budget challenge in Webster Groves. We spent more time on the budget in the first three months of my um, term than I ever would have imagined, but we needed to do it. It was absolutely necessary that we do it. I have spent a whole lot of time learning about FEMA and SEMA and anything flood related, the County Emergency Operations Center because of all the flooding. Um, you know, obviously no one puts on their agenda that they wanna spend time with residents talking about the loss of their homes. It's heartbreaking what has happened to some people. So, you know, I think of this now as a job where you have to do what's in front of you and then you have to make time for what your priorities are. And I'm learning better now how to make time for what my priorities are so that I am not just swallowed up by what's right in front of me. It's really so easy to do. And I, I mean, I think that's true for a lot of people in a lot of ways. It wasn't exactly what I expected coming into this job. This question is not one that I planned, but you just saying that made me think of it. What kind of support system do you have in place then that helps you navigate these, these things? So I am really, really uh, lucky in that I have a spouse who is incredibly supportive. Um, he will listen to me talk for hours on at a time if he needs to. Um, so that certainly helps. And because of what he does, he's a political science professor. He understands a lot of what I'm going through in a structural institutional way. Um, so he's first on that list. I have a group of friends that, um, met, that were central in my campaign who remain central in my contacts. Um, I actually um, have a group of women that I have been seeing regularly since our kids were all in second grade. And so they actually created their own proclamation for me about how supportive they would be during the course of my time as mayor and it's sitting in my office. Um, and, you know, you can't, and then my, Frank, I, you know, my kids now are adults. They couldn't be more supportive than they are. Uh, so I, I have a very solid support system. I can't imagine doing this without one because what happens is 
these things just turn over in your brain, right? If you can't talk to somebody about it, you run the risk of finding yourself obsessing about something. And that's not good for a solution. And that's not good for your own mental health. Uh, agreed, agreed, agreed to say the least. What are the opportunities that you see for Webster Groves in the coming? How long is your term, number one? And what do you see as the opportunities for the city overall, but also the opportunities for you during this first term? So my term's four years. So I've got three and a half years still to churn some things out here. Um, I think Webster is a really interesting place because one of the things that we have is a, I see as a really good opportunity is really to just generate and tap into the talent that we have within our community. Um, I'll give you an example, and this is something that we're gonna work on over the next couple of years. We have a sustainability commission that is composed of people who many of them have been working in that field for many, many years. They've put together for us a sustainability plan. First one for the city of Webster Groves that we're gonna spend the next couple of years really working through because I think we can be an example in some cases to other communities of how you really can implement this. And sustainability is something that our public, our, our residents are very committed to. So I think you know that expertise in our, we need to figure out how in other areas to also to tap into that the way we have with sustainability. Um, the second opportunity I think we have is really figuring out how to live our values. And that seems like, that's not, doesn't seem like a policy statement really, but I think it is a policy statement because it has to do with how we approach housing and zoning and affordability in our community. It also has to do with how we um, really dig into equity and inclusion issues in our community. Um, both of those things are priorities for me. And I think they are priorities for the council more generally. And I'll be perfectly honest, the people who won election share those, share the idea that we have to live our values that way um, and are not afraid of what we do that might change things. You know, Webster's, are you, you're, I know you're gonna ask me about challenges, but the central conundrum to me in terms of leading in Webster is people want it to be exactly the same and they want it to change. Or they want it to be actually, keep it exactly the same and don't recognize that it is changing even if you don't do anything, right? We as a community are changing. Whether we want to recognize it or not, um, we are much more expensive to live in than we used to be. Uh, we are wider than we used to be. Our business, our collection of businesses, we have a thriving restaurant scene, which is fantastic. But frankly, some of those restaurants are out of reach to some of our residents. We also have a whole bunch of thriving small businesses and our school district where we have first year, second year employees, teachers who can't afford to live in our community. And, and one of the values that I hold true is I, I, don't, I don't wanna say to you, you're a part of our community, but you can't live here. That doesn't make any sense to me. That's not really inviting you to be a part of our community. Yeah, you and I have had off the, I mean, obviously I'm recording, we've had conversations or been a part of larger conversations where you know what does affordable housing look like in Webster and it looks like a first year teacher for Webster you know in general our society has this idea that it's always oh, only for black people that have made mistakes in life you know these kinds of 
you know, untrue or not uh, accurate depictions, but in Webster, affordable housing is literally a first year or second year teacher based on their salary. So uh, it goes back to you saying the community has changed and do we recognize that change and what it means? I'm gonna ask you to dig just a little deeper and it, I'm not asking you to answer this like in a dissertation, but you said lived <laughs> lived values, you know, housing, zoning, affordability, equity, and inclusion. Can you give me an example or can you give me a different example? Because I think that some people, you know, I've served um, as the pastor of the church at Webster for eight years now, and I've had some unique experiences in the community. Um, and I don't say that negatively. And you are, uh, I don't say that being sarcastic. You've, you know, experienced some of those with me. Yeah. Um, some people would probably say, you know, the community is exactly what it needs to be. Why are we facing, why are we uh, focusing so much on these things and why are we not just embracing what is now? Why is this so important? Or what is an example, a clearer example of what you're talking about? So one of the things that people say who live in Webster Groves all the time is that we are an incredibly welcoming community. Um, so what does the word welcome mean? Um, number one, it means that whoever's here, we're going to treat them with respect and kindness and fairness. Um, number two, I think it means if I'm going to welcome you to my community, that means I'm going to really acknowledge when maybe people don't feel welcome and how um, our experiences in our community might be different. Um, you know, we, we created three years ago, I think it's three years ago now, Police Community Engagement Board, as you well know. Um, and the idea there was we have a history of real discord between the Black community in Webster Groves and the police department. We go to the Secretary of State's site, and you can argue until you're blue in the face whether disparity rates and traffic stops, are they calculated correctly? Are they compared correctly? There's a disparity that exists. Um, and so how, if we're stopping more black people than white people, are we welcoming? If we are saying no to things like making duplex housing, which isn't, isn't gonna serve low-income people, not a Webster Groves, it's not. If we're gonna say, we don't want more duplexes because we're afraid of who's gonna live in them, that's not welcoming. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of living values, you define who you are as a community, but then you have to actually do things that say, this is who we really are. You know, we, our, our mission statement even talks about us being a progressive but traditional community. I don't know what that means. I'm sorry for laughing, but you, you yeah. <laughs> I, I understand that you're laughing because I, I don't know what that means. Um, so does it mean that we take some kinds of progress but not other kinds of progress? Does, I, I honestly, it, 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 is, it flummoxes me when I think about this and think about how it applies to policy. Um, you know, we, we do things like, okay, traditional but progressive, all right? You might think of being progressive as allowing or encouraging solar panels, right? We have a climate disaster that we need to address. Well, we actually are traditional in the sense that there are a lot of places in Webster you can't have solar panels because they don't look good on the traditional old house. I, I don't, you know, how do you resolve something like that? We as a community have to make some of those decisions. Traditional, I, I, 
people who know me, I, I'm, I'm pretty darn traditional. Um, but you do have to accept that we um, do have to move with current times and recognize the challenges that we as a world have, as well as we as a community have. And I don't think that really gave you a very specific example, but I'm gonna stop meandering here now. No, I think that was that, that you know, how many people progressive versus traditional incorporate so many different things. And we usually will align it with certain things, but I mean, the, the example of solar panels, how many people would think about that? You know, for some people that's a no brainer because the environment is so important. And for yeah. others, it's like, no, it destroys my property value. So it is not welcome and don't even think about it. So yeah, um, we only have a few minutes left. I wanna say thank you for participating today and, and have engaging in such an interesting conversation. But before we end, what advice would you give to your younger self or to anyone else who wants to make a difference in their community? I've got, I've, you know, people need to know, you sent me some of these questions in advance. So I did actually have some moments to think about them, but. This is the one that I could have written my own little um, dissertation on. We used that word before. Um, I think there, there are a lot of things on that. If one of the things that I would say to myself is, you know, I am one of those people who is, I think, almost always done what's expected of me, right? We all have responsibilities, but it's okay not to do what's expected of you, especially if you understand that for you, that's your path to making a difference, you know? I was expected to go to law school. I don't, uh, that didn't work out for me and it was just fine that it didn't. I think the other thing I would say is um, never be afraid of failure. You know, sports taught me that. You lose a game, you go back, you figure out why you lost it and what you need to work on, you work on it and you go to the next game. Well, it took me a really long time to translate that lesson into both my career as well as my public, work, public service work. You know, you lose sometimes. And you learn, like, so this duplex ordinance that we that failed in Webster Groves uh, about a year ago, one of the things that I learned from that experience is, and my side lost, there's no question about that, um, is that I need to be a better communicator about what the benefits of those kinds of changes in our community are. So I learned that. I also learned that there is no... Failure doesn't harm you in a way we often think it does. And then the last thing, I, and when I was thinking about this, that I would say is we never be afraid to apologize. Because I think right now we're a society where people don't want to apologize because that means admitting that maybe you were wrong or you didn't understand or you didn't see someone else's perspective. And I got to tell you, no matter what the short term pain you might feel or difficulty you might see in, in that situation of apologizing, I found it's a whole lot better to apologize and have that conversation than it is to continue to think about, well, did I really do this right? You know, second guess yourself and have that animosity hanging out there. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time you've given us and I look forward to having you on the show, the podcast again in the near future. Well, I really appreciated the time and the discussion and you would never believe it, but I don't usually like talking about myself, but I think this one was all right. I, I feel special. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Please check back next week for a new episode and hopefully you have a 